and welcome to LX2 Codependency Coaching. I am Stella. We are recording the podcast live on Instagram at Luna underscore X2 underscore LLC. Um, and I've had a really awesome morning. I probably had way too much coffee, so I needed to slam a bagel in my mouth hole uh, <laughs> to be able to uh, to talk to you guys in a way that wasn't like speeding through and it sounded like I'm on a mania, which I am not. Um, but I did have a really good cinnamon bagel. Um, and I don't like raisins historically. I think they're weird, old grapes. Um, but in a cinnamon bagel, they are perfect. So I wanted to uh, to come on and talk about things. Um, it has been a whole week of really great client interaction and conversations with my friends and all the things, as generally happens. Um, and so last week, I had talked about looking at my 17-year-old self. Um, and I ended up posting a picture. It is on my feed on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, but I had a lot of comments from, you know, clients and people talking about uh, how often and, and truly often in my practice, I have people, you know, get a picture of their childhood self. And it, it's really hard to be mean to a kid in that way when you start to look at how you talk to yourself. And so my 17-year-old self um, is a whole nother version of me. And, um, somebody had posted on their Facebook, something like posted a question of what is a moment in time that had, you know, changed your life or shaped you. Um, and I speak about it often. My dad died when I was 16, um, and definitely gave myself some messages about love and, uh, support and continuity, blah, blah, blah. But one of the other things that kind of happened when that experience was part of my experience, um, is that I got started to emotionally detach from a lot of things. Um, and so in the grieving process, um, I didn't cry for two years. Like I just kind of kept it pushing, uh, which has become a theme in my life is we just, you know, put your head down still and keep it pushing. Um, and it was devastating, obviously. And I think I've shared with you before here, um, had some suicidality that I dealt with um, at 18 and then again at, at 24 with depression. And part of that was this idea of how things should be. And I think often for a lot of us, sometimes we get stuck in the how things should be or how things have been in the past. And I've talked in, you know, on, on previous episodes about anxiety and depression because it is part of my work. Um, but that idea of how things should be keeps us stuck in a lot of ways. Um, and certainly when it comes to depression, you know, we get stuck in moments that feel very big and overwhelming. And we feel like this is not how this should be, right? Uh, losing your dad at, at 16 is not how things should be. And admittedly, if any of us have watched Disney movies, uh, parents die in the first part of the movie. Um, and so we have that awareness that these things happen um, but not until it happens to us does it then shape and mold how we see the world. It creates a lens or the view with which we see things moving forward. Um, and so it was definitely something that shaped the trajectory of my life um, at the time. So I was having you know, these thoughts and conversations with people. Um, and it's interesting because this morning, um, my dog, Ignacio, little chewy guy, He's crate trained, and um, so he gets in the crate 
when I go to work and I tell them to go to bed. So we have a whole ritual, take them for a run in the morning. Um, he goes outside, I make, I put his breakfast out, I get ready, um, do my makeup and all the things. He comes in, he sits next to me, and then I tell Alexa <laughs> to play the classical playlist for pets. And, um, and so all of this is a ritual, right? It's something that happens daily. So this morning, first time ever, um, I changed the, the sound on Alexa and started the music. And I looked down at him and I was like, okay, you got to go to bed. And he put himself in the crate. <laughs> He's never done that before. Um, and so obviously from a pet perspective, I was really proud of him because he was able to put himself to bed and it was really cute. The, the door was shut. Like he opened it with his nose and he got in and he did the thing. Um, and so that was interesting in a positive way. Um, but I think oftentimes when we get stuck, and especially when something tragic or really difficult happens, um, we have trained ourselves, we train our brains to get in the crate. And, you know, I talk about getting in the box often because it's something that happens with codependency is that we cut off parts of ourselves and we get in the box. We, you know, uh, accommodate ourselves in a situation by giving up certain parts of ourselves, certain needs, certain, you know, things that we feel like we should probably have uh, to stay in relationship. And we stay stuck in things for longer than we should, including anxiety and depression. So depression specifically, as it relates to this particular narrative, is that I stayed depressed for a long time, obviously, after my dad died, grief, sadness, all the things, and um, had a lot of anxiety about the future, because now I know that parents die, and um, that death is like part of life. And, you know, we all learn that at different stages and ages. Um, but it created a lot of anxiety, which still to this day, I have residual things that happen. Um, every time I get on a plane, which I travel often, um, I have to tell everybody that I love them. And uh, I make plans for <laughs> what will happen if I should die. Um, and it's it's curious to me how some of those things stay stuck, right? We get in the box about it. We, we shackle ourselves to certain situations because of our fears or because of how things should be. And specific to recognizing that our behavior is triggered and formed by things that happen in our lives that change the trajectory or the path that we are on. And in a maladaptive way, we stay stuck in certain behaviors and certain expectations uh, because we get stuck on how it should be. And a lot of times, you know, we don't recognize that that is what we're doing until we've been doing it for so long. And then we go and talk to a professional, i.e. myself, uh, a therapist or something. And we say, this is, this is the story. This is the narrative. Um, and for anybody who's had therapy with me and lots of clients, you know, listen to the podcast, um, I am very direct. And sometimes I go, what, what are you talking about? Like, this is how, this is what I'm seeing. Um, and I have said before, like, my job is not to be the expert in anybody's life. I am not. Rarely am I even an expert in my own, um, despite the fact that I'm really good at life. I just hold up a mirror and say, this is what I heard you say. And so my approach is very direct. My approach is very blunt. Sometimes people get uncomfortable. And in that discomfort, they choose something different. They recognize that, oh, you're right. 
I just realized that when I said it out loud to someone else, it sounds very different and I can see it from a different perspective. I have used, um, I used to have a jar of, of peanut M&Ms in my office uh, before and um, I would take it out, especially when I was talking about perspective shifts and in couples specifically, and I would tell them to describe what they could see from each of their different um, views, right? So they're usually sitting on a couch from different views and they would tell me like they see all the green M&Ms or they see all the red M&Ms. And so that is perspective, right? When we start to recognize that the way that I see things isn't necessarily the way that everyone sees things and our lens is colored by our experiences. Um, I have said before, that part of why I do this job is because I have been to hell many times um, in different experiences and different things that have happened in my life. And um, I know how to get out so I can meet someone where they're at. And most of them are in, in a hell of, you know, whatever circumstance has created that for them and I can get them out. And part of that is because I know the way. I've said before, I've had, I have hard path tattooed on my knuckles um, because I've always taken the harder path. When things happen, I am very good at beating my own path and making my own way and creating somewhere that other people can follow. Um, my accountability buddy talks about the fact that I do a thing and then she does it bigger, which is absolutely true. Um, you know, I finished graduate school. I think we graduated at the same time. And then when I went to private practice, she came and talked to me and said, how did you do that? And I was like, well, I did these things and blah, blah, blah. And then she created two agencies. And, um, you know, recently she's planning some changes. And um, she said, I saw you go to Europe and quit your job and do the thing. And she's like, and then I wanted to do it. And I was like, okay, you know, I can support people and I can show them the path because I have been down many paths. That said, I do recognize that sometimes I will put myself in a crate. Um, and so... The other thing that has happened that's just kind of an aside and kind of exciting is uh, that I got the edited manuscript of the book. And so I have to review it and then submit it. And then we're on to the next publishing phase, <clears throat> which um, which is a little uncomfortable. Um, I had, you know, I went away for seven months. I went to Europe. It's really amazing that I took the opportunity to do this and um, that I have created this thing. And so I teach about codependency all the time, but I had to write the write the curriculum for which I teach it, right? Um, and so we're that much closer to the book being out. The book is called Best Intentions of Things We Do for Love. I will definitely make announcements when it is available. But I got this, this manuscript and I was like, okay, cool. Like it's a lot more real now. And, um, you know, people are like, that's amazing that you did that. It's incredible that you were able to do these things. And yes, absolutely. That is true. And... Um, I, going back to that 17-year-old me, could not have imagined that this would be my life, that this is one of the career path that I've taken, that I have, um, you know, created a curriculum that I help people get through hell on a regular basis. Like, never in my wildest dreams could I have told my 17-year-old self, this is going to be your life. This moment is temporary. Um... And I get emotional about it because I think about that that girl, um, water. So, in thinking about that, you know, that topic today, in really recognizing that oftentimes we don't 
take an awareness of the appreciation of the present moment because sometimes the present moment absolutely sucks. And it, it feels as though we're going to be stuck in amber, like this is going to be my life forever. Um, what I can tell you from my own experience and working with clients and just observing human beings and the human experience is that's not true, even though it feels that way, even though it feels like this is my life forever. And so I was thinking about that, right? I was thinking about 17-year-old me. I was thinking about where my life is today and really recognizing like all of the clients that I have really been blessed to work with, um, that they continue to grow and change past really devastating, challenging things, past really uncomfortable situations. They continue to evolve. They continue to grow. That said, when you are in the present and you're dealing with bullshit, it feels like this is going to be forever. I deal with people with chronic illness. I deal with people with long-term cognitive and brain chemistry issues and they get better. And part of the getting better is the doing. And that is really hard for us. That is really hard for me. It has been probably my whole life. And even though I'm a doer and even though I do really amazing, incredible things, it's really hard. And I have said to you guys in the past, like I struggle with the middle and I love the middle. I love the work of doing. I love getting in the shit and looking at myself and being really uncomfortable. Even though that sounds counterintuitive, I really do love that part where I get to problem solve and figure it out. Now, one of the kind of key components to writing this book and doing, you know, doing the work of healing my own self and working on my codependency is loving better. And, you know, I talk about it often because my accountability and buddy and I have talked about how when we are in relationship and when we are codependent, we want to love the other person so that they get better and then they can love us in a way that is helpful. Um, not the best way to do it, but it is a way to do it, right? Um, and so, you know, I talk about loving potential and I talk about like all the ways that we get in the crate and cut parts of ourselves off to have somebody see us, all of our parts at the same time. And if I'm not doing that for me, am I doing the best for myself, right? I can get degrees and get licenses and start businesses and take myself to Europe and do all the things. And so there is a part of me that has always loved myself, but I didn't even know that that was what I was doing. <laughs> I just thought I just need to be the best version of me possible um, because inherently in my brain, I suck. That is what the narrative was, right? Um, and so it has prompted me to get to this place. What I know to be true is that there, the part of myself that has kept me safe my whole life is the part that loves me. And I tell clients this on a regular basis, like when they have survived really challenging, devastating things, that part of themselves kept them safe. That part of themselves kept them pushing. That part of themselves kept them getting to the next level and the next level and the next level. And even though it's hard and even though it sucks, they kept going. They keep going. That resilience I talk about with clients all the time is that part. And so when we can start to love it and really appreciate that part of ourselves that kept us safe, I will be the first to admit I have an amazing team of human beings that I am very fortunate to have had for most of my life. And those people are the ones that love me and I just have to trust that there is something lovable in me 
And so, you know, we, we keep each other in stride. We continue to follow each other through things. All the feelings are happening. <laughs> um, and so it is, it is that, right? It is that I have to get up in the morning and I have to do a thing. And part of that is just getting through the day. That is, in fact, living in the present moment, even though we are holding on to the things that have happened before now and we have those old skills and old tools and old experiences and that makes us, you know, kind of get stuck in our shit. And then, you know, this fear of like, what if I do it wrong? What if I fuck it up? What if I don't know what's going to happen next? What if the next step is terrifying? That is the anxiety, right? And yet people still get up. People still do things. People still take their kids to school. People still, you know, go to the meeting and, and, and do their work and do a job and blah, blah, blah. And that's in the best of circumstances. Now, admittedly, addiction is a thing. Suicide is a thing. Um, you know, people who cannot fathom the next step, that is also true. And so for those of us who really struggle just to get through the day, recognizing I am living in this present moment, just trying to get through this present moment. What I know to be true is on the other side of this moment is the potential for greatness, is the potential for better, is the potential to not feel so uncomfortable. And if you can just say, okay, I'm going to live in the shitty moment and recognize it's temporary and get some new tools, get some new skills, call a girlfriend, have some coffee. You know, I'm going to do the best I can to control what I can in this moment, I will get past this moment. I know that that's true. Like, not just cognitively, I have lived through so many shitty moments. And so I recognize that when clients come into my office and they are looking forward to the next session so that they can make it through that next week, right? Then we get to those, you know, we're doing weekly sessions, we're talking about it, we're building tools, we're creating awareness, and then we get to the next step. And it's like, okay, every two weeks, you've got the tools, you've got the skills, you can do this. And they go, okay, I can, I can get through two weeks. <laughs> and the reason I structure therapy that way is to be able to create and to foster the resilience they already have. And my goal, and I tell them from the beginning, is you will not need me. I am just here to teach you the things that you need to learn so that you can go on to the next step. And my clients do well. Now, that's not saying that I am the best therapist there ever was. I'm really good, but I'm not the only one, right? And so there's lots of people out there that do therapy different than I do. They will not look at you in the face and go, what the fuck are you doing? That's not how we do this. Um, and <laughs> that is, that's a conversation I've had with clients before. And they will tell you, it's really funny because when they refer me to other people, they will say, Stella's going to make you uncomfortable. Stella's going to say stuff and you're not going to like it. And you will go back to get more. It's funny because I was talking to my accountability buddy earlier and she was talking about this idea of like the muscles that we have that we're not even aware that we have, right? Um, and we try to use old skills and tools in current situations and that doesn't always work. And so once we become aware that we have a muscle or we have an ability to do a thing, you have to keep practicing and you're going to suck at it and you're going to fail. And she's absolutely right. And so, you know, she and I have these conversations on a regular but it was really just kind of serendipitous that the, the dog got himself and put himself to bed because I talk about that often. I talk about how we get in the crate, we get in the box, we cut off parts of ourselves to stay in relationships that even though they're toxic or unhelpful, 
they are the familiar thing that we know, the familiar hell, because the uncertain potential good thing or just different thing is really scary. And I know that that's true. And I can tell you that I continue to do really big, scary things because I, I'm looking forward to like that next thing. I'm super excited about, I don't know what's going to happen if I, you know, sell all my shit and go to Europe. I don't know what's going to happen if I put this book out into the world and nobody reads it. It'll still be a thing that I did. It's actually a great story. Um, it was a great story even while I was there. <laughs> People would be like, I'd be in my cab and they're like, oh, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I live here for three months. And they're like, what are you doing that for? And I was like, well... I quit my job and sold all my stuff and came to Europe to write a book. And they're like, you're writing a book? What is it about? Is it about traveling? No, it's about codependency. <laughs> and that sounds insane when you say that to people who don't know what you do. It sounded insane when I said it to my clients. They were like, you're going you're gonna to leave? You're going to quit your job? You're not going to do this anymore? Nope, I'm not. And you're going to be fine. And you know what? All of them were the hundreds of clients, and I say hundreds because they were all at different levels, they're fine. They're doing great. And even when they come back and they're like, hey, I'm dealing with this thing. And I'm like, cool, let's look at your tools. Let's sharpen them up. Let's do something different. They're doing great. They continue to do really well because they lived past that really shitty moment. They lived past that time in their life when they did not know what the other side of it was going to look like. And part of it is, and I tell you guys often, like part of it is recognizing that this space, this confined space where I cut off parts of myself and I don't get my needs met and I don't love me is so uncomfortable. I'm going to tell somebody else about it. <laughs> and then that somebody else is hopefully going to see me all of my parts at the same time. And they're going to love me and say, you deserve better. Like you should probably do something different. And then they do. And it's amazing. Like it's, it's incredible to watch. And so when I tell you guys that like I'm super grateful for the job that I do, I am like, I get so excited even now, right? I went away. I did a thing. I put my license in retirement status. I sold all my stuff. I came back. I had nothing. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know how I was going to put it back together. And I did and better, right? <laughs> like going and, and getting all this insight makes me actually better at my job. And now I sit with clients and again, different perspective, new parts of me doing different, different and the same things. And it's, it's better. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. And I could have stayed stuck. I had a really great, beautiful life before I went away and I came back and I built it better. I mean, that's just true. And I know that I'm not the only one who can do that. I know that I, when I come on here and I tell you guys things, I don't tell you things that I haven't done myself, right? I don't tell, I don't share on a podcast weekly the things that are possible from a theoretical place. I do it from a practical place where these are things I've done and these are things that I see clients do and these are things that people in my life do and I continue to recognize that this is true and it, it feels, um, it feels uncomfortable to share this level of vulnerability on on video and on a podcast and yet it is resonating with people so when I say that like I'm going to put out this book it's going to be a thing and people can choose to read it or not and they can choose to to do relationships differently they can choose not to get in the box 
they can choose to have needs. They can choose to love themselves to that place of recognizing they are worthy and deserving past this moment. And that is significant. That is what I know to be true. When clients start to go, yeah, I actually do have needs. Yes, I actually do think that I'm pretty cool. I used to say, um, kind of when I first started, I worked with a lot of teenagers um, and, you know, teenage females, but I also worked teenage males. Anyway, a lot of times they couldn't see past their circumstance, right? And so when you're a teenager and adults are telling you what to do and they have all these expectations of you, you feel like you don't have a whole lot of control over your life. And you sometimes don't like yourself very much and looking in the mirror is really difficult. And I used to say to them, you know, there will be a time in your life when you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, hey, pretty girl. And I'm going to get emotional, but I did have clients that got to that place. Um, and now all my teenage clients are adults doing really cool things and having really cool lives. And they didn't think that they would get past that moment. I had a whole, for a while, I had a whole bunch of like 15 year olds, 14, 15 year olds. And, you know, now they're all 25, 26. <laughs> and I have had, you know, the pleasure of talking with them and um, kind of seeing where their lives are. And they're great. They lived past that shitty moment. Um, and they have beautiful lives that they really appreciate and they are engaged in on a regular basis. That is an incredible gift. And it is my best advertising, you know, to see somebody who has gotten past whatever shitty moment they were in and they made the changes, they used the tools, they practiced and exercised those muscles and they got past that moment. My stickers, so the check your facts, control what you can, that's not helpful. Like all of those live in their brains. That's why I made them stickers. And, you know, they recognize that they got past whatever moment. And then they go on to heal the generational bullshit in their own families. They model those skills for the people that they love. And that is significant, right? And I, I don't take for granted that what I do is unimportant. I'm very grateful to do the job that I have. And 17-year-old me, she could not have imagined the life that we created. So I'm gonna have some more water. Recognize that sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we stay in a familiar hell because of the uncertain future. And I recognize that when you can push past this moment, when you can just get through the day, there is something worth having the next day. There's something worth having in the next hour. And I teach clients because I ask every day, <clears throat> what's good? First thing, first question you get out of me in a session is what's good. And it takes a while to reorient your brain. But when you start to look for what's good in your life, it is a lot easier to get to that place where there are things that are good. For me, in the morning, it's the walk. It's the, or run, sometimes I run. Um, it's, you know, it's the coffee. It's hanging out with my dog. It's, you know, getting to have really great interactions with clients. It's being able to have the life that I created from that 17-year-old me who really struggled to get off the bathroom floor, the one who shut down all of her emotions and said, we're not going to have this. This is going to be hard, right? <clears throat> um, I was in high school. High school was not fun for me. 
Um, and there was a part of my brain that knew that it was temporary, right? And so I pushed past that. I was like, cool, we're fucking done with high school. <laughs> um, you know, being a single mom, not my favorite. Push through it, have a 30-year-old doing the thing, right? Have a divorce, lived in a marriage, did some things. That was amazing. There were incredible parts of that. And then it ended. And then I had to restart. And so I have restarted my life or taken a different path or done really hard things to get to the next level. And I have consciously chosen that. I challenge you to recognize what things are stagnant or not working in your situation currently. How do you want to do it better? What do you want to change? Because even though the change is scary and there is anxiety and there is fear and there is worry on the other side of this shitty moment, it's not going to be this shitty moment. There might be shittier moments. I have told you guys very clearly, life is hard and shitty things happen and we have to pivot and adjust. And when you do, you have the potential to have really awesome moments. And they are moments. Everything is fleeting. Things are happening in seasons. They don't always happen at the same time and they aren't always great all the time. I am never going to tell you that life is fucking magical on the other side of a shitty moment. It's not. But there are better moments than the one that you're in when you're stuck. There are better moments outside of the box. You have the right to feel worthy and deserving of greatness. But you got to choose it. And then you got to work hard every day to get there. I have done incredible things, for sure, but I've also lived through really terrible things. And I didn't think that I could, and yet here I am, on the precipice of the 51st floor, <laughs> level 51, also known as 51 years old, knowing that I, that 17-year-old me, would be so proud of my life. She would celebrate every day knowing that this is who we are, that we have a cute little dog, he puts himself to bed, we love that for our experience. You know, I have a great career, I've done incredible things, and I worked really hard to do that. And you all have the potential to do that as well. There were times when I didn't know how I was going to feed my kid, and then I figured it out. There were times when I, you know, didn't know that having a master's degree was even possible for me. Now I have one, and I've worked really hard to do it. And so if I can teach a client in a 45-minute session that their life is worth having something past this shitty moment, I will do it a million times over. That is your nugget. Thank you so much for watching and thank you for listening. All of my, you know, listeners all over the country and all over the world, I am so, so grateful. If you have an opportunity, um, you know, follow, share, talk to other people about it. I appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for everyone who has continued to support you know, Lunax2 and LX2 Codependency Coaching. I am so grateful. I'm going to end the video and then I'm going to end the podcast and I will be back on next week. And who knows what we're going to talk about. Something may spark a weird conversation with me to have in front of a camera. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. All right. I have ended the video and I am going to end the podcast. Thank you again to everyone who's listening. Hopefully this resonated with you and will challenge you to work past whatever shitty moment or situation that you are currently in to know that you can create something different and you can have the life that you want. I'll talk to you soon.